This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hello, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 265. A time of release, a new episode every day for the rest of the week with interviews from the creators and cast of the amazing Midnight Mass. New TV series, Day of the Dead, and I know what you did last summer. First up, you're hanging out with award-winning writer, director, producer, and creator of one of the most famous icons in horror movie history, the legendary Don Mancini. His new TV series, Chucky, is available now on Sci-Fi in USA, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. Get all dolled up and hear about what's in store for Chucky's bloody return in this all-new horror adventure and how it's more insane than ever. Take a journey back into the original creation of the character and the magic of bringing him to life. Revisit the early Child's Play films and reminisce on Don's incredibly dark Curse of Chucky from 2013. It's episode 265 with Don Mancini. And it starts now. Hi, I'm Chuck, and I'm your friend to the end. What did you do? Ah, ah, ah. Mommy says real killing is bad. Yeah, well, mommy's full of shit. Look around you. It's the World Series of Slaughter. Stop, stop. Do you feel that? Everywhere Jake Wheeler goes, death seems to follow. Creepy doll just creeps me the hell out. It's kill or be killed. 
Everybody's got to choose. What's going on with you? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an award-winning writer, producer, director. He's accomplished what few ever do. He created a character and cinematic universe so iconic that it has leapt from the screen and into our culture forever. It started with 1988's Child's Play, which he co-wrote with director Tom Holland and John Lafia, and grew into a franchise including seven feature films, a remake of video game, comic books, toys and merchandise, theme park experiences, short films, commercials, appearances on Saturday Night Live, the WCW, and so much more. It is no wonder the Saturns awarded it Best Horror Franchise. It's genius writing and inventive stories continue to keep us consistently engaged with the serial killer doll. One of its core mandates seems to be how can we bring something that seems impossible to life? And this bold and brave approach makes each time that we get a chance to jump into this world incredibly unique, unexpected and fun. And what it has done for the advancement and exploration of the magic of animatronics and practical effects is second to none. The new series is called Chucky. 13-year-old Jake finds a vintage good guy doll at a yard sale that is the catalyst for a series of horrifying murders that threaten to expose a small town's dark secrets. It stars Zachary Arthur, Devin Sawa, Olivia Allen Lind, and it marks the return of the legendary voice of one Brad Dourif. It airs Tuesdays on Sci-Fi and the USA Network starting October 12th. We welcome its creator, the renowned Don Mancini. Yeah! Thank you. Trevor, that was so well done. So exhaustingly, exhaustively researched that I feel no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> well done, man. Thank you so much for taking some of your time to spend with us. Yeah. And thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for continuing to ignite our imaginations with your amazing work. So just uh, at the beginning here, we wanted to just go back into Chucky's history a little bit with how you came up with the character, the path to bringing it to life with Tom and John for the very first film. So, okay, I wrote um, the original script um, by myself was a spec script that I wrote when I was a student at UCLA in film school in the mid 80s. And my original impetus was because I had grown up around the world of marketing and advertising. That was my dad's um, career. I was exposed to that world and how cynical that world is, particularly with regard to children whom they refer to as consumer trainees. So the initial impetus is that I wanted to write a dark satire about how marketing and advertising can affect children. And this being in the mid 80s, Cabbage Patch Kids, those dolls were all the rage. And, you know, there were riots at stores and people trying to get their hands on them recognizing that going on in the culture being a horror fan and well aware of the killer doll trope i saw an opportunity to kind of uh do a new version of that and so i wrote uh the the first uh draft of child of what became child's play and uh the script was bought by david kirshner the producer who's been the producer on all the movies and is one of my fellow eps on the tv show and um anyway when they were developing the first uh the first movie john lafia who um sadly passed away last year he did a draft of the script and a few other filmmakers well came and went 
and and Tom Holland was the last of those writer directors, and he um, did a pass on it and made uh, you know crucial contributions to its success, of course. And somehow it all worked out. So by the time we get to Child's Play two, his character is established, and we really get to have fun watching Chucky do his thing and the inventive kills and the attitude as well as the look of the doll itself kind of exemplify what everyone loves about the franchise. And it's written in a way that seems to completely discount where the technology was in order to make it. And it's a real showcase to inventiveness. What were the challenges involved in ramping up the character to that level? Well, you know, when I wrote it, one of the, one of the things that was going on in movies at that time was this was just after Gremlins, say. So I realized that animatronic puppet effects had gotten incredibly sophisticated by this point. So I, I just sort of realized that there was likely nothing that one could write that, that a good uh, special effects team couldn't put on screen. And Kevin Yeager was uh, the artist who did the first movie, the first four movies, actually. He and his team of puppeteers, as you say, they just did an incredible job. Starting with Seed of Chucky, uh, Tony Gardner took over, and he's been doing it since then. Also incredibly talented. One of the things that's so interesting about guys like Kevin and Tony and their teams these guys and women, they're like this interesting combination of gearhead and actor. They have to have both disciplines. You know, they have to be able to be able to take machines apart and put them back together in a way that I absolutely have, do not have that talent at all. Can barely keep my computer running. But at the same time, they're artists, you know, and they're and they're they are crucial to the performance that ends up on screen. You know, the performance is, it it takes a village really. And it's, you know, I'll write it. And then sometimes I direct it, but the puppeteers, they give the director the luxury of treating Chucky as an individual entity. You know, I'll be able to say, Chucky, you're a little over the top here at 11, take it down to nine and, you know, stop overacting or whatever then they really do allow me to get to just to treat him like he's another actor. And if I say, you know, could you leer at Jennifer's decolletage or whatever, you know, it will take seven people to make such a a glance happen. You know, it's like you've got, because so many things have to be taken into account. For example, one of the maddening things about pup do, dealing with puppets is eyeline. You know, if you're shoot, if you're shooting a conversation between two actors, and you know, if I'm like doing your shot, and then I'm you know turning around on my shot, you just take for granted that the individual actor is going to be looking at one another. But with a puppet, you have to simulate that, and it's 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 really crucial because. If that eye line is off slightly, the scene does not work. So that's one thing you have to do. And then they have to like emote. They have to like give the emotion. What 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 emotion is Chucky expressing when he's leering at Jennifer Tilly's breasts? You know, is he leering fondly? Is he leering patronizingly? There's so many different ways you can do it. And it will take up to six or seven people to accomplish that. And 
it's really amazing what they do. Leo, on that note, you had a question about how that pertains to the new series. Yeah, and bringing Chucky to life, what is the process like for the episodic TV format? Is it a combo of puppeteering uh, and practical effects, or is it one or the other or both? Well, puppeteering and practical effects. I mean, if you think of it as the same thing, I mean, Chucky, Chucky is certainly never CG. I, I think in the entire franchise, I've done two CG shots of Chucky. Both of them were in Curse of Chucky, and I didn't really plan or want to do it. It was just a budgetary thing. And the fans saw it instantly and said, you know, Jacques Hughes, <laughs> you know, like, don't ever do that again. So he's, he's always a practical puppet on set. And I think that I've always felt it was important to maintain that because it's better for the actors to have something to act to. And, and he does give his full performance on set. We're playing back Brad's vocal track on set and Chucky's like doing his thing. And even in between takes, sometimes they have him goofing around and you really do come to think of him as Chucky as an individual entity. So that the, the actors have something to work off of because we've all seen movies that will remain nameless and the actors can remain nameless. Great actors who, who can be unmanned by that performance, undone by that performance. I mean, I, it, I, I can't act at all. And I think what actors do is magic to me that they're able to just like unselfconsciously become other people and be vulnerable in front of a hundred other people that amazes me to this day. So it's important that they, that you do everything you can to help them in that endeavor. And so it doesn't help an actor to say, look at this green tennis ball and, you know, act, you know, do your death scene or whatever it is. Um, just much better to give them another performance to bounce off of. But I, on top of that, I think that Chucky, because he's a doll, it's important if you have this sort of ineffable herky jerky quality that like if you were to do him as a CG character, that would be another thing you'd have to take into account. And it's, it's really tricky. It would be, I guess what I'm trying to say is he might come off as too smooth, even if you were able to accomplish the illusion that he's actually a three-dimensional entity. That alone is its own plateau. And we've, you know, sometimes we see great examples of that. Even Yoda in the, in the um, Star Wars prequels, that was a pretty, 20 years ago, that was a pretty good version of a, of a CG character that you kind of bought, but do you remember Mars Attacks, you know, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks? I know that he originally wanted to do that um, stop motion, but it was too expensive. And so he did it with CG, but he built into the CG, the kind of herky jerky motion that you would get if you shot it stop motion. It's like, it's the King Kong effect, you know, like in the original King Kong, you know, they would animate him one frame at a time, but the one of the byproducts of like each time of someone has to come in between shots and reposition his arm, the fur would would change inevitably. And that was just something they didn't take into account. But the net effect of it on screen is that it made him seem alive, like his fur is bristling and it just it was something they didn't bank on and they loved it. And so Tim Burton had to somehow build that into 
the Mars attack CG, but Tim Burton has access to tens of millions of dollars that I don't. <laughs> so it's just actually better in every possible way, creatively and financially, that Chucky remain a puppet. The Boo Crew will be right back. It will happen when you're alone. A faint sound. A movement. Your heart races. And then you relax. Nothing to worry about. Just don't look up. Parasite, the first futuristic monster movie in 3D. Parasite, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Parasite, Parasite. 3D. 3D, Parasite. One of our favorite entries into this series is actually Curse of Chucky, which you directed. It is such a brilliant left turn from some of the more fun and campy aspects of the world that we picked up on Bride and goes into a realm of total darkness. And it's a really bleak, evil movie in a spooky old house. And then we have the immaculate introduction of Fiona Dorif into the fold. I would love to hear you reflect on that experience just a little bit, if you could, before we get into the series. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the kind words about that movie. Yeah, I, I really like that movie too. And I, I think along with Bride of Chucky, Curse, I think is my favorite because of what you're saying, because it did, it, we were successful in steering it into a new flavor. You know, after having with Bride and Seed, we'd gone in a very comedic direction to reassert Chucky as a straightforwardly terrifying horror icon. That was our mission. And, and so I was so happy that it worked for people like yourself. So I, having directed one movie at that point was Seed of Chucky, I was excited as a director to direct a horror movie because in a way, Seed of Chucky, Seed of Chucky was a horror comedy. So it was kind of flexing slightly different directorial muscles. So I was excited as a filmmaker to, to do a, you know, sort of straightforward horror movie and see how I'd do with that. And also I was interested in doing an old dark house movie because we have, you know, one of our, with that movie and cult of Chucky, both of those movies had relatively limited budgets. So your challenge is how do you take the liability and perhaps make it an asset? You know, so we only have so much money and time at our disposal. So one of the things you do to economize is set everything primarily in one location. That is going to save you a lot of money. But creatively, that really appeared, appealed to me, the notion of putting all a group of characters in this pressure cooker situation over the course of one dark, stormy night. And treating it almost as if a haunted house movie. It's almost like a ghost story in a way with Chucky as the specter who, you know, is stalking these people. I, and I, I love production design and cinematography and stuff like that. So Curse of Chucky, also I, the opportunity was to do a cool haunted house movie. You know, do, you know, the mansion and what's what that is like and what it looks like in the different rooms. What is the color scheme going to be? All of that was new or sort of new directorial muscles for me to flex. And 
I love that aspect of it. And as I had done with Jennifer Tilly and Bride of Chucky, it was fun to bring a new lead actor into the fold, a new character and an actor. And I, I love actors as we've already discussed, just like just what they do is so magical. So I tend to bond with them pretty intensely. So I'm like Jennifer and Fiona are both two of my best friends. So that was another aspect of that, of the experience of Curse of Chucky that I loved was getting to work with Fiona and know her. So I got to ask, with all the different things you've explored with Chucky, are there any unused sequel ideas or concepts or even dolls that you've played around with creating that haven't made it into the franchise for whatever reason? Hell yeah, of course. Yeah, that's like like one of the one of the fun things about having a franchise, you know, just like constantly working on it, new iterations of it. Inevitably, you have ideas for characters storylines, set pieces, murders that for whatever reason, go by the wayside. Like they don't work for this particular story as it turns out, or we can't, or as often happens, you can't afford it this time. These ideas will go into a drawer and then it's like, you can pull it out later, you know? And uh, so I've been really fortunate to be able to constantly open the Chucky file and, uh, just like one example, in, since you brought up Curse of Chucky, one of my favorite sequences was the scene where Chucky poisons one of the bowls of chili, but then we don't know which is the poison. That was a set piece, which just kind of in the abstract I'd had for decades, the idea of like doing a set piece in a horror movie with that, those parameters. And Curse of Chucky created the opportunity to actually execute it. So that was, that was really fun. So yeah, there's, it's one of the great opportunities now that we're in the realm of TV, the medium of TV, we have so much more storytelling real estate to explore and at our disposal, as you might imagine, I'm able to like open the drawer and pull out all kinds of things. It's like, Oh, we can do this now. Um, with particularly with regard to a lot of the origin story stuff, you know, that fans, it's only, it's, it's one aspect of the TV series, only one aspect, but an important aspect is exploring the origins of Charles Lee Ray that fans have been asking about for 30 some years. They want to know like, what was he like as a person? What was he like as a kid? What was his first kill? Why did he become a killer? All, all of those questions. I, the TV show was the best opportunity to explore that because we have so many different avenues we can go down. And then part of the challenge was tying that into thematically what's going on in the story proper. Yeah. This time around, Chucky gets to play in the sandbox of young middle-aged school teens experiencing peer pressure, bullying, abuse, sexual orientation, shaming. Talk about the decision in placing the uh, storyline in this particular age group. Well, I, I'm always trying to reinvent it in some way with bride. We turned it into a comedy. And then as we've discussed with curse, we turned it back into a more Gothic sort of genre. So taking it into the medium of TV represented its own reinvention. I mean, it's because you're, you're the serialized format, having eight consecutive consecutive episodes inevitably you're telling a different kind of story than you are if you're doing a 90 minute movie and 
part of the difference is you're much more, it's much more about characters and dialogue. I'm sorry, characters and relationships. Dialogue is always important, but characters and relationships were going to come to the forefront in a, in a new way. So that was really appealing to me. So there was that, but then I wanted to focus on kids again, which we hadn't done in a long time, really since Child's Play 3. But since I, you know, I've done little kids in Child's Play 1 and 2, the whole 14-year-old milieu was something that Chucky hadn't been plugged into before. So it, was, it, it just was a, a new flavor, a new, a new world for Chucky to, to affect it's one of the, one of the important things whenever you're doing a horror movie, a horror TV show, you have to, what's the metaphor? It can't be only about a killer doll, a doll that's possessed by a serial killer and killing people. It's got to have something else going on underneath. The original movie was ab about uh, the dark side of marketing and advertising with this series of the TV show. Chucky is a metaphor for bullying, which is, you know, a, a problem in the culture of, of youth today and will probably be forever. Unfortunately, people being what they are and children being what they are. Um, I thought that that was an interesting new metaphor for Chucky to represent because I think Chucky is the ultimate bully because he comes pretending to be your best friend, which I think is sometimes the way bullies operate. They can be very charming and seductive. And the character of Jake, portrayed by Zach Arthur, he's emotionally very vulnerable because of the place he's in in his life. His mother has recently died. He's gay. His father's homophobic. Kids bully him. So Chucky comes into his life as a sort of like avenging angel and saying, I, I think I can help you. Now, Chucky being Chucky, of course, he may have his own secret agenda going on there. I'm not, I, uh, if you guys have seen four episodes, yep. I think. Yep, that's right. So, yes. You know, might have start, started to get a slight sense of where, ch what Chucky is really up to. Anyway, I just, I just thought it was an interesting world to put Chucky in, particularly after Cult of Chucky, given that um, where we left the character, he's not only found a way to splinter his soul into multiple vessels. One of those vessels is a human woman. And we left off Cult of Chucky with Chucky in the body of a young woman making out with his girlfriend, bride, and driving off into the snowstorm together. So what, is, what does that do to Chucky's psyche? You know, I think in a way, you know, in, in, in Seed of Chucky, Chucky was raising um, a queer kid. So those experiences in a way make him on the face of it. If he weren't a supernaturally possessed killer doll, he may seem the ideal mentor to a young gay kid. You know, as he, as he says to Jake, it was like one of my favorite lines was, um, you know, when he, when he tells Jake, you know, I have a queer kid and, you know, and the kid's like, you have a kid, like you're a doll. How does that work? And, and Chucky, he's, like, he's not even focusing on the fact that I'm a doll with a kid. He's just like, yep, my kid's gender fluid. And he's like really proud of that. And, and, and Jake's like, and you're cool with it because the idea 
of a father being down with his kid's sexual non-traditional fluidity seems like a new idea to this kid. So he goes, and you're cool with it? And Chucky goes, well, I'm not a monster. <laughs> I love it. Chucky is an unusual horror slasher in that regard. He, he has a complexity that we haven't at least yet seen in Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. Um, so I, you know, all of this, I thought it was just, it was an interesting road to take Chucky down. You know, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to say too much because there are a lot of payoffs in the back half of the season, but, you know, Chucky is exploring his own sexual fluidity, his, his own newfound sexual fluidity. And I, the idea of blowing people's heads up in that regard was just catnip to me. As we wrap up here, we just want to say on that note, will we maybe see the return of Glenn or Glenda or Tiffany in doll form? If Instagram has anything to do with it, it looks like there is some surprise cameos along the way that we will get. Can you reveal anything that we might see along those lines? I can say you may be right. (laughs) You may see some of those characters. Who's to say? Only one way to find out. Tune in. That's right. That's right. I want to know if Brad Dourif is going to make an appearance in Flesh once we get to uh, flushing out his backstory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your time. We're getting the uh, the warning yes. to, to disconnect now. But again, congratulations on this TV series. Yes. It's so awesome to see Chucky in yeah. this whole new way. We appreciate it so much. And keep kicking ass out there, my man. Thank you for having me. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 265. Special thanks to our guest, Don Mancini. Follow him at Real Don Mancini on Instagram. The time of release, the new sci-fi USA series, Chucky, is available now with new episodes every Tuesday. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at Tales from theboocrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands The Boo Crew is a TSP creation part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network Bye a bloody disgusting podcast network home of the boo crew for horror-centric interviews scp archives weekly full cast storytelling horror queers genre commentary from an lgtbq perspective and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts